Welcome in once again. It is Women Really Mean Business presented by Athena International. I'm Jeff Litnikoff. Thank you for being here. We know your time is valuable and let's get right into it and talk about author Gail Chiarella Alba. She is our guest this week and an expert in caregiving. In fact, you're going to hear a personal story from Gail that caused her to get into the caregiving space and also caused a mid-career shift for her. So there's both a personal and and a business story contained in this podcast. So it is episode number 47. We're going to get to it in just a moment. But let me ask you a personal favor. Can you share this podcast or at least rate and review it? It helps us so much to grow. So in advance, I thank you and my partners at Athena International. Thank you. All right, here we go. Episode number 47 starts now. Welcome to Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International, the podcast that tells you the story of how women are impacting business one guest at a time. Now here's your host, Jeff Bolitnikoff, with another successful woman and her unique business journey. Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International. I am Jeff Bolitnikoff. And I have a guest that does a lot. First and foremost, she is a yogi and she is into self-care. She has done a lot of work with uh, crisis counseling, body work, caregiving, been an advocate in domestic violence, a lot of stuff that she has done. Also, she's an author. And well, I am going to run out of breath before you run out of a compliments. Gail Chiarella Alba, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Jeff. I am really pleased to be here. I am so happy to have you. And I'll tell you that I did your bio sort of justice, but as people that listen to this podcast know, I like you to expand on the bio, the guest. And so maybe if you could give me a history of where you've been, how it's all brought you to this place and what you're up to these days and the whole scope of what you do for folks. It'd be just great to hear. And oh, by the way, I forgot to mention that uh, Gail is a podcaster as well. So it's always a little nerve wracking for me to interview a fellow podcaster because I want to I want to be at my extra best because I want to. the respect of the peers, so to speak. So, Gail, having said all that, the floor is yours. Thank you, Jeff. And I do want to say to the listeners that I um, have listened to several of the podcasts that Jeff has done previous to my own. And he is a wonderful interviewer and wonderful to listen to and to be able to manage the different kinds of content that he does. And so I'm more than pleased to be at the other side of your good care, Jeff. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Gail. Um, and I, I have to say for anybody that's seen my photo on the website, I'm a bald guy. And uh, it's always funny when you can see <laughs> a bald head turning red. I really appreciate what you just said. <laughs> that's keeping it real. <laughs> so where should I begin, Jeff? What What should I do here? There's so much. It's uh, there's so much. It's uh, why don't you start with? I think the basis of everything is being a yogi, and that seems to at least when I read your bio, that spring being a yogi kind of sprang all these other things off of it. And so maybe that'd be a good place to start if you agree. I do. I you know you reach a certain age, and if you've done a lot of things, if you just put one foot in front of the other every day, by the time you've reached 
years in your career, you you've done a lot of things and you go back and you look and say, Hey, there's a lot of things. <laughs> so that's part of my story. But for me, looking at my arc, the arc of my work, when I um, went to college, I thought that sociology and psychology were going to be great healing methodologies for me. I was suited to it. I was a good listener. I had people telling me their woes, you know, from when I was a kid. And um, I found that as a professional endeavor, it wasn't rocking my world at all. And what was happening was at that time, I was being introduced to yoga concurrent with my academic education. And I found myself literally running away from institutions and places of service where I was using my mind and running to the place where I was experiencing this entirely new philosophy of body-mind or mind-body, one word. And that was the new thing, one word, mind-body. And um, the, the experience that I'm having now, that was, I became introduced to yoga from the initial yogis that were coming from India at the time. And I was one of very few practitioners in New York. We found each other though, in New York State, maybe 25 of us. We formed a group and we would ask these traveling men mostly uh, from India to stop by um, our monthly meetings if they could and teach us. And they were willing because they wanted to spread the word here in the West. The upturn of that is that I had many teachers from many different disciplines all under the same umbrella called yoga. And, and I met a lot of the greats at my stage in my career. Now the thing that has really hit me strongly is that I feel responsible for being a living library. It's just the turn of the phrase in a way that I had the kind of education that I did because it was so broad-based, literally because none of these folks had a home. I don't think today there could be anything like it. You would go and study under one person or become an apprentice to one person. And I have people say to me all the time, like, what kind of yoga do you teach? Mm, and that's a sort of a, a result of all these different schools opening and then you become that. But for me, the exposure of what is it to have a mind body that needs to work together with the spirit moving through the mind body so that mind body and spirit are one. Well, that is a big piece of work. And that ideal has informed everything I've done, which has been one thing or another in writing and speaking and and my products and programs and, and things. The place where I'm in now, I thought I was just about maybe done teaching yoga. And my adult son, about 20 years ago, had a severe traumatic injury while skiing. I spoke to him from home on a Sunday afternoon. Everything was good. I said, I hope you have a helmet and have a great day. And two hours later, I got a call from the trauma surgeon uh, from Copper Mountain in Colorado, I was living in New York, uh, said, I just have to tell you, get, you know, pack a bag, get on a plane and be prepared to stay. And out of that moment, a single moment when your entire life can change as big as mine did, pack a bag, I did get on a plane. 
I was prepared to stay with my overnight bag. I gave my life, my keys to one person. I had a studio at the time. I gave her the roster of students. I gave somebody else my mailbox key and I was gone from the life that I knew and thrust into a life of trauma care. And the thing that I know to be true, and already now this is 20 years ago, so I was mid-career. The thing that I know to be true is that I think we all think your person that you love is going to be in a trauma center. They're going to take care of it. You might go there to visit and you might go there to observe and you'll be stopped in and out and um, you won't really have a job. And that is as far from the truth, I have to say to all of our listeners, as you can get. I hit the ground running the second I got there in a field of endeavor in which I knew nothing. And that was how to be a caregiver, how to be the guide and the watch person and the advocate and the eyes and ears for my son. And the recognition that that is needed, just the recognition that it's needed was so amazing that it just cancels everything that you or a person might think. I'm just, you know, like they'll take care of it. They take care of what is the institutional part of the gig, including life support, keeping your loved one on a vent, moving them from one place to another surgery if it's needed, the protocols. But the person who really oversees all of that is the person sitting literally by the bedside. And some people have that person and some people don't. And so I came away with a couple of things. Number one, if you're the person, you need skills. And if you're, and if you don't have that person, we as a society need to start training each other because everybody needs that person. It's not great for a patient to be in that kind of a situation and not have an advocate, a dedicated advocate who's really watching out for them. It's, it's a traumatic circumstance for everyone. People are busy, people running back and forth, medications being ordered left, right, and center, and then changed, and then somebody distributes them, and somebody else comes around the bend, and it's not the same thing. The chaotic environment and the need for care and oversight is present. And then the need for the person who's being that person to care for themselves is absolutely true. So to sort of cap that and where my career made a kind of turn was that I was a parent observing other parents. And I was doing that for weeks and months within these critical care environments, going from life support to off the life support to hospitalization, ICU, and then into inpatient rehab, outpatient rehab. My son is fine and I am fortunate, not so with so many others. The way that the caregiver, I'll call myself now the caregiver, manages himself is a whole other subject. So in my observation of what was going on in my environment, I began to see that I was leaning hard into my practice skills. And people can think that yoga is somebody standing on their head and doing a split and fancy exercises, and that's only one limb. There's another seven limbs that teach you how to manage your observations and to be attentive and to be able to suspend your upsets and simply be an observer, to be meditative, to be in the zone, to accept peace, to accept what is and what you can't change. 
all of that comes to bear in these environments. Therefore, I uh, recognized the grace that I had to um, have all these skills already present for me. And I didn't need to start thinking what, when I was in crisis, how am I going to manage myself? It just came naturally for me to pull my tools out while I was observing so many other parents and people coming and going. And every other day there was a new patient on the floor and there would be a new set of uh, caregivers who needed help. And those that didn't have any place to rely, just wringing hands and not knowing what to do for themselves and with themselves gave me this constant push to help caregivers. And what could I do to help them? But to learn what I could myself about that field and to bring my field of yoga to bear for them. So I didn't even know I was doing it, Jeff. I didn't even realize what was happening. But I started writing, and then I started talking, and then a book came, and then a co-author for another book came, and then my podcast came, <laughs> and, uh, and the Yogi Caregiver was born. Well, let's talk about how you had to make the shift. And by the way, I was going to ask about your son, and I'm really pleased that he's okay. So that is uh, something that uh, I, I had a sigh of relief as I was sitting there listening mm-hmm. to your story, as I'm sure you did as well uh, when you were going through mm-hmm. it. But I, and I do want to mention to your website, gale.info. And by the way, you spell it G-A-E-L. So if you're listening right now and you want to check out her books, go to G-A-E-L dot info. And then also you can check out her podcast at selfcareoasis.com. And she is at the Yogi Caregiver. So two questions have sprung out of what you just said mm-hmm. in your intro, Gail, is, is that A, how did you manage a mid-career shift? I mean, that's pretty radical to ask of anybody because it's not easy to, especially as we get deeper into our adult lives to make that kind of shift. And then B, after you tell us how you made that shift, what it's all meant to you and the impact that you're making on the world now, thanks to having this new career. Ah, great questions. How did I match the mid-career shift was one foot in front of the other? I'm not coming up with anything really blindingly bright right now or something that sounds that one has to be extraordinary to do it. No, I I like that. I like that. I I really like that. I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but you know, the one foot in front of the other because, and maybe tell us your mindset when you were going through that, because sometimes it's the simplest things are the hardest things, right? Because you can be putting that Mm -hmm. one foot in front of another but sometimes those results aren't coming too fast. Maybe you're you're trying to get to a journey, but you're so far away. So talk about the mindset you had to adopt to keep doing the right things over and over again. We will hear more from our guest in just a second. But first, Athena International has a big event coming up in October, and you should be there. Let's take a pause and get the details from event co-chair and Athena International board member, Sherry Jones. Want to enhance your leadership skills? Join us this October in the beautiful Hudson River Valley, New York for the 2019 Athena International Women's Conference. We're celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Athena Leadership Model and the impact of the eight principles of enlightened leadership. Register at becomingathena.org. 
I think yoga, I don't know if yoga taught me, but I know that it's built into the system is to look for the joy, to find the joy, to be settled with what is, to stay in the present moment, to stay in the present moment. That's a big one. So there's this saying, ask someone to focus their attention for one minute and you found a king among men. So whoever made up that didn't say keep their attention for an hour, you know, really for a minute, a whole minute, only being where you are, not letting yourself drift anywhere else. That is a skill that you can practice. And that skill for me meant that I was looking at what is it to be with my son? What's the most important thing right now? So at the time, my career was, it's always been an outgrowth of my life, but I knew that my career was shifting as an outgrowth of my life. And that's not for everyone, but it is for probably for many entrepreneurs and certainly for solopreneurs in my experience. You're just doing what you have to do. It's like bubbling up inside and <laughs> you don't have a whole lot, anything else going on, but that's what I'm going to be living out. And we creators manage that. So my mindset was really being okay with not knowing and yet trusting and following the guidance step-by-step step, following. So can you be okay? My question would be then to a person, can you be okay not knowing just in the state of okayness? Can you practice the state of okayness? Can you practice being present to the love that you're experiencing that will never come your way again? This is a moment to be present to a journey holding hands and jumping together with a loved one. And I say this to any caregiver, it's, it's a renowned field right now. I've gotten quite immersed in it and caregivers are basically stressed people. Anything that we can teach family caregivers to help them manage their stress is a good thing. Anything we can teach them. But, but what is true that they may only recognize when they look back is the time that they gave up that might have seemed like it's so hard, like I couldn't go to this social thing and then I, I didn't, I wasn't able to even co-create with my like uh, matched funds or my 401k because I had to take off so much or I didn't raise or I didn't take the vacation. That's all true. They didn't. They didn't. I can't smooth that over. Caregivers give up a lot, but what you get in this experience with another person is unbelievable. Literally, there's a kind of closeness and intimacy, no matter who the person is, that just can't be described if you look for it. And you have to keep your eyes open and not be bothered by all other things that look like life isn't going your way. Well, that's a great dovetail um, into question number two that I had in the impact. And you're starting to answer that right now is, is that maybe describe the person that you're typically coaching. Basically, they're or I, I shouldn't even say coach. Coach isn't the right word. It's walking side by side with somebody is the way that I'm perceiving this as they go on this unique journey that they're on. So maybe you could describe that process for us. A little bit of it is, and, and I'll speak the language of caregiving and the language of yoga as well, Jeff, but for the caregiver, it's my experience today as a certified caregiving consultant, as a person who goes and speaks at conferences, as a person who's completed a book with a co-author on fruits of care, a user's guide to family caregiving, that when you're, when you're each looking at each other, it's like, oh, this is a, we already know who we are. But I think that 99% of the population still does not self-identify. So where I'm feeling that I am 
is bridging that or seeking to bridge that space between a person who says, I just, you know, my husband got sick. My husband had a stroke. I, I just brought him to the hospital. I, I'm the wife. My son had an accident. I'm the mother. My neighbor, I knocked on the door to deliver the meal, and my neighbor was laying on the ground, and I had to call 911, and I went in the ambulance with them. That that person yet identified, self-identified as a family caregiver. But those steps are likely very initial steps into a whole lot of living that they will be involved in or delegating. And either which way, they're in it. So what's the landscape? And the landscape can be described by, the, by giving yourself the title. So the title of family caregiver is, is a volunteer position, even if you think you have to. You don't, nobody has to do anything. So you're volunteering. You're not getting paid. It's not the same as a paid caregiver. And how do you identify yourself and hold yourself to the, to the standards that need to be held so that you take your place at the table with those who are considered in today's world, the caregivers. So you might be knocking on the door of the doctor or the surgeon and saying, I need time with you. Or you might be knocking on the door when there's a, a round table and it's the six different caretakers for your loved one. You know, the social worker is going to meet with the OE and the PT and the surgeon and the doctor and they're all going to have a meeting and the nurse and, and you just, you know, you invite yourself. Yes, I, I am coming. It's an amazing thing to ha find a voice to take your seat at the table. And in many ways, today we still uh, don't have a place at the table and we need to have one. And forming those relationships is enormously significant so that um, we all contribute to the well-being of the person who's being cared for. And we all grow a system that treats us all better than the one that we have now which is frankly not working so good. We're overcrowded, understaffed, overstressed, and in need of help. I'd like to give you the floor a second time. And listeners of this podcast know that I give you the floor at the beginning and then I give you the floor at the end. But I'm feeling the need, before we get into the Athena-based questions, to give you the floor right in the middle here. And what I want you to do... Mm is because I'm sure there's somebody in the audience right now that's listening that is in the boat of being a caregiver. And mm -hmm. I want you to speak directly to that person right now and just talk to them. And this might be a person right now that uh, could, in a metaphorical sense, feel like they're drowning. And maybe they haven't really thought of caregiving in the way that you've brought it out. Because like you said, the system's... In a lot of ways, it's kind of broken. So I'd like you to give you the floor to speak directly to the person that is listening that may be in that boat of being a caregiver at this moment. So to the very dear caregiver of whom there are going on 44 million right now documented of you in the U.S. alone. First thing to know is you're not alone. And the second thing to know is that you are a person of value. You are unique in the wheel of care. You are very likely the hub of the wheel of care. And what you do and what you know and what you have to say is very valuable. Your teammates are neither above you nor below you, but each of you has a different role. The doctor has the role of doctor and the nurse has the role of nurse and some are in the institution and some are not. And so to 
take a moment to observe all those roles and how you sit with those roles and how those roles can serve you and how you can serve them. And among the serving pieces is how do you maintain the service to yourself? And so your self-care is critical here. The journey may be a long run and you may be at it for quite a while. You may also have multiple carries. In my case, I came back from my son and it was my father. And once we got him through hospice and he, we were complete with that journey, which was years long, uh, my mom got sick and she has now passed as well. So this long haul kind of experience needs you to take care of yourself. And that becomes a primary acknowledgement. Taking care of yourself may look different from what you think. It may mean saying no. It may mean hiring the help back when the person you love has fired the help because they don't want you. It may mean finding your voice. And it may mean taking that walk by parking at the end of the parking lot in the furthest spot that you can so you get some fresh air on your way to the appointment. But do that, you must. Another one, take the stairs, put it with the elevator, wherever you can take stairs, take them because that may be your gym for the day. And it may come to that, that that's the only time you have. But you're the hub of the wheel and your role is so very significant. Once you have that under your belt, go ask for the help that you need and see if you can find it in your area. We're growing by leaps and bounds. There are many other folks like me who are putting programs together and practices together and giving seminars and leading retreats or conferences in the same way that I am. And you can look for them or ask for them or ask your um, local organization to sponsor one. This will only be helpful in the future. So um, lastly, I would say take a deep breath, the kind that makes you fill your belly and the kind that makes you stop with the awe of how big this breath can be. And that breath is filled with life and it's filled with the fourth life. And only you can take that in for yourself. So take it in now and pause at the top of it because you are full. And then let go of whatever isn't needed. Let go, let go, let go. Until you feel as empty as can be. And know that you're still with it. And then take it in your breath. And you can do that whenever you choose. Well, Gail, I, uh, I thank you for that. I'm sorry for your losses. And I, I think that was definitely going to help a lot of folks that are in that boat. So, again, thank you. My pleasure. All right, let's get into some Athena questions. And uh, as listeners know, we get to the eight Athena leadership principles from the book, Becoming Athena, Eight Principles to Enlighten Leadership by Athena International founder, Martha Mertz. And your principle, Gail, I think it's perfect for you, of course, is build relationships. What does that mean to you? It's so perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I call them limbs. And there's eight, there's eight limbs of yoga, by the way. I'm really excited about this numbers. When you have numbers, I think it's easy to remember. But I loved all of them, and I'll speak to building relationships, but um, living authentically, learning constantly, advocating fiercely, acting courageously, fostering collaboration, building relationships, giving back and forgetting, and we, I think we touched on all of them. But um, I wanted to quote the book, Becoming Athena, 
where uh, Martha Maywood, uh, Maywood speaks herself to the concepts. She quotes Nick Dupree in the chapter where she talks about building relationships. And Max Dupree says this from his work, which is called Leadership is an Art. Leadership is more tribal than scientific, more a weaving of relationship than an amassing of information. A good family, a good institution, or a good corporation can be a place of healing. It can be a place where work becomes redemptive, where every person is included on her own terms. We know in our hearts that to be included is beautiful and right. Leaders have to find a way to work that out, to contribute toward that vision. He concludes, together we can be something wonderful. And when I speak to that limb of the Athena principles, um, that is what the family caregiver is doing. Indeed. That is what we're doing. We, we're leading. We're leading that. Well, let's get into what a great answer to build relationships. Let's get into our uh, question of how women are elevating other women in business these days. You're you're seeing more and more of this, that uh, women are really helping women take that step up in the business world. And I just like your commentary on that as someone that's been in business for a number of years. What are you seeing? I'm seeing that. And I'm just going back to the, the very subject that, that I'm interested in. We are seeing more and more family caregivers of all sorts. There's a couple of surprising stats. One is the number of men who are caregiving today. And that really is a result of a bigger conversation is that, you know, someone goes into the hospital and they're let out not two weeks later, but two days later. They're going home to someone. So male or female, we need to find our, our caregivers at home. So there are male caregivers and we're growing, they're growing in number. But it is predominantly a female um, situation. There's just women live longer than men. There's more older women who are caring for spouses. Um, there's more females that are doing the caregiving in families, traditionally across different cultures. And today, surprisingly, uh, the largest subgroup of caregivers is millennials. Just baby boomers are aging and there's scads of millennials. And so they're now stepping up and we're going to see a lot of changes in the field. But the field by nature, I think, is women supporting women. And one of the things that I did as I became a certified caregiving consultant, it's a job that women can take on. And sometimes for women, it might be that they never really had a career. It may or may not be that they had a career, but certainly if a woman made a career of caring for her family, there is now such a thing as a job called a caregiving consultant and, um, or a caregiving specialist. And that is awesome. And so we mentor each other to go find that and, um, and take those trainings and be those people where the caregiver becomes the expert in her own field. And it's the field of what she has lived, what she knows, and how she's managed. So there are skills around that and trainings. Um, and that's what I would say, really, that, how that enters into the, into the leadership and uh, conversation with Athena. Now, how do you think the field is going to change? Just as a quick aside, you had mentioned with the millennials coming in. What do you what do you see as the future of it? I think that we have to do things that are uncomfortable. In my generation, I remember we, you know, I fought like to have natural childbirth for my children, and then I fought some more to have Lamar's classes, and then I we all fought for 
uh, getting maternity leave or some kind of child care. And that's my generation. And not so long before me, we were fighting for the vote. I think that with millennials, it is going to be a, not just a societal, but a state and federal mandates for caregiving support and help that will, will wind up being financial. Things like now somebody wants to caregive and says, I literally, I have to leave at two o'clock because I have a responsibility. I have to take my parent to get their MRI. There will be mandates that that person gets paid. It's not to go, go take your whatever, your sick day or your vacation day or things like that. And that's only just a small piece of it. But I'm certain that as a younger workforce become more verbal, that the things that are absolutely needed by our society will be just forcibly put in place, if not graciously put in place. Oh, I like that. And that's just an example. Forcibly and graciously. <laughs> I like that. That's a nice combination right there. Yeah. Well, let's... Yeah. Uh, Head into the last few questions here. What are some resources you might recommend? And it doesn't necessarily have to be caregiving resources. It certainly can be. But even resources that personally inspire you. I'd love to hear your take on this. I went back to school. Well, I'm, I'm a, one of those lifelong learners. <laughs> one of those lifelong learners that's almost always doing something or other uh, in a school somewhere. But one of my recent forays was to take. I went back to Penn State and studied um, postgraduate leadership and organizational development because I really wanted to know something about how organizations do their thing for two reasons: how they develop and also where they go else. Uh, seeing some of our bigger institutions having done that. Uh, but I came across the Leadership Challenge by Jim Cruz and Barry Posner and have seen it first numbers of times since. And they, Cruz and Posner talk about the five traits of exemplary leaders. They model the way, they inspire a shared vision, they challenge the process, they enable others to act, and they encourage the heart. So um, Cruz and Posner's work, turns me on for any human who is leading their own little band, whether it's you and your family or you and your business or you and your organization. I also find the work of Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote The Four Agreements some number of years ago in the 1990s, I think, to be enormously uh, important in today's world and as it was then, but I think it's hardly even understood. And he has the four agreements, which would be impeccable with your word, which means that wouldn't it be great if the word was made flesh and that was, you know, we, we got a hang of that. Like when you just say it, just because you say it, you know, there it is. And your word was so strong and your bond, we could manage ourselves around that. Boy, we'd be saving ourselves a bucket load full of trouble. Don't take things personally. Uh, people speak in symbolic language and uh, just don't be upset around it. Go and do your thing. Don't make assumptions um, and always do your best. And the reason to always do your best is so that you do not criticize your former self in 10 years from now thinking I would have, should have, could have. If you go to bed every night saying to yourself, I did my best, you will to yourself the prerogative to judge yourself later on in your life. And I, I think that's probably one of the biggest gifts you can give yourself is to know that, you know, long well, going all the way to my deathbed. On your deathbed, you look back and say, I really did do my best. <laughs> That's a big gift. So those are two of my, those are two of my resources. I found a, well, actually my writing partner found me. Uh, she found me as a, as a consultant coach 
for her for some mind body work that she was doing. She found me through a CD that I had out on the market and then she saw my website and then we spoke and then she knew that I was involved with caregivers and she said, I have just gotten my, just completed my dissertation on multi-generational care. I would love to hook up with you in the writing that you're doing. And so we produced a book called Fruits of Care, uh, Yusuf's Guide to Family Caregiving. And I expect that that will be a big help to others. So my own resources keep coming in the caregiving field. And what I want, I suppose, to say in the end is that caregivers are, it's like a code. It's an identity, but it's not you, really. You are a body, mind, spirit. And everything that all of this is talking about is just how to be a better you. Well, I love it because you uh, took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say that, Gail, I'm giving you the floor at the end, but you uh, you were already on the floor. And uh, what a great way to end the podcast. I really appreciate it. Gail Chiarella Alba at gail.info. That's G-A-E-L dot info. You can connect with all of her resources there, find out how to buy her book and all the other good stuff. And Gail, I really enjoyed the talk and appreciate you spending so much time with us. Thank you. Really, Jeff. This has been a pleasure. On the next episode of Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International, we have Melissa Solkowski. She's the owner of Nurturance. Now, that's a practice that offers a holistic approach and promotes peaceful alternatives to healing. Melissa is going to talk about how we all need to get better at self-care and how you shouldn't let a crisis force you into self-care. Here's a little bit from Melissa. I often say, you know, you don't want it to take a crisis to, to ground your feet, to recognize the value in taking care of yourself and the necessity in doing that so that you can be good for everything else in your life and you can be more thoughtful and mindful and intentional about what you're giving energy to. Hey, I have a personal favor for you. Can you go to womenreallymeanbusiness.com and go to the Grow the Show section? If you did even one of the four things on that page, it would help us immensely. And me and my partners at Athena International, thank you in advance.